from depression to diabetes to obesity and addictions. Our medical problems are climbing and are now at epidemic rates. This is why I started this podcast, Your Health Transformed, to educate you, to teach you, so we can all learn how to combat these increasing medical problems and live well again and become transformed. I am your host, Dr. Franchelle Hamilton, bariatric surgeon, and have seen these medical problems and treated them firsthand. I am now on a journey to help transform health, not just band-aid it. So thank you for listening and going on this journey with me and all of my guests on Your Health Transformed. I'm excited to talk to our guest today. Mr. Blue, or Felipe Blue, is a therapist that focuses on addiction and trauma and treating mental health. He is author of the book, You Are Not Your Label. And so I am excited to talk to him about this um, topic because I often talk about this also. And so I'm excited to see how you're using this kind of in your realm. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So what, where, where are you located? What part of the state or U.S. are you located? Located in Durham, North Carolina. Okay. All right. And so you have seen and dedicated a lot of your work to addiction and trauma. And so it would make sense on where this book kind of birthed from. And so I almost kind of want to get your experience and your background because I often see it too in like a patient population and how the labels can wreak havoc on mental health to the point like in my arena where it's affecting and manifesting as chronic medical problems that become difficult to treat because they're kind of stuck in this, well, this is who kind of outward facing thinks I am. So where what have you seen in, in your line of work? Well, before we get into that, I would like to say that my book is called Post-Pandemic Depression and Anxiety and Strategies to Deal with It Effectively. I wish I okay, had a book, I'm sorry. such as the one you named. Maybe that's next. You spoke <laughs> appreciate that. What I've seen is that in many cases, and myself as a Haitian immigrant, people want to put labels on you. And if we identify with our labels, then that's what we manifest into our future. What we think is what we are, what we become. And what I've seen is that when you get a diagnosis such as bipolar or schizophrenia, some people identify, I am bipolar. I am schizophrenic. I am a crack addict. I am an alcoholic. And when they identify with these labels, they take on the attributes of these labels and identify who they are as a person as identified with that label. I say, you are not your label. You may have a diagnosis. That's just an attribute of you, an attribute that you can deal with effectively through therapy, strategies, the support. I've seen an increase in this over time, especially as I work and I invest in my downtown office is right in the the midst of poor and impoverished people that believe that their labels are who they are instead of you are who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and sorry about that. Um, 
The one of the things, because I, by the way, my family is also Haitian. I didn't know that that's where you were from. My dad, my grandfather only spoke French. Um, but anyways, so um, I growing up was a very defiant child. And so often growing up, um, I ended up getting into the wrong crowd, hanging out with the wrong crowd. And I remember and I recall this vividly, almost like being pushed off to the side because I ended up in like an alternative school, which no one would believe. Here I am today, a surgeon, chief medical officer, you know, that I kind of started that way. And so I ended up in an alternative school. And I remember the teachers there thinking, oh, she'll just get her GED. Almost like, you know, that type of person, they don't amount to anything. They will never be anything. And so for me, that was a huge light switch. Like, no, I actually can do more. I mean, because of the choices I made, you know, kind of put me in this predicament, but I am more and I can be more. And so one of the reasons I got into obesity medicine is because that group of people is often labeled. They're labeled um, lazy. They have like all these labels and you're right. I've seen it manifest as in them thinking that that's who they are. And so it's funny that I'm talking to you about this because, and not a lot of people know this, but one of the reasons I chose that is because I was labeled. And so I wanted to make it a point to work with that group of people that was the most labeled, right? And for whatever reason, it's, it's usually that group of people. And when I've worked with them, I've had to, as a medical doctor, which we don't learn how to do this, figure out how to like pull apart some of those labels in that baggage that they've been carrying for all these years. So when you're working with your group of people, because it's very similar, like I also have had to deal with people, uh, uh, adverse traumatic experiences, which we all know about different type of addictions, people carry that into each stage of life. And it's almost like, how do they kind of strip from that? Like, how do you help them do that? What I found, I've been working in addictions for about the last 12 years. And some people started as young as, you know, they're, when they were young, young. Like, you wouldn't even think that a person at 9, 10 years old would get into alcohol and drugs. Mm-hmm. But a lot of time it's introduced to them as they're molded into, you know, a sexual being by, you know, a perpetrator a lot of times. Mm-hmm. 80% of people that have addictions probably have some type of traumatic sexual past. I say that to say this. So they fuse their being, their core being with their addiction. That's just who they are. They fuse it. And not understanding that that was a a numbing effect. That was something that was separating you from the trauma that was perpetrated against you. And now you use it in excess probably to remove yourself from that reality that may have defined you as a person that took you off the path a deviant path, we'll call it, than where you were supposed to be or where you could have been. They tend to give me a caseload, what we call borderline personality disorder clients with that diagnosis. And they think, oh, well, they will never get better. <laughs> Here, Felipe, see what you can do. I don't even believe, I don't even like that diagnosis because I know it's directly linked to trauma. And if I can alleviate the trauma, you will no longer see the attributes associated with BPD. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, When you get these clients, like, what are some of your, I mean, you have to build, obviously, in these situations, build a trusting relationship, like, obviously, like, I think that's number one. And then how do you get them to be able to identify, 
like what, and I always talk about root causes, which is exactly what you're referring to. How do you, if they come in with BPD, or if they come in with this label, right? Because we both understand that. How do you get them to kind of take it back to figure out where did that start? It's like an onion. You yeah. pull back over time. It takes time. It takes patience. And it takes trust. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm not here to judge you. My path to where I got to become a therapist was very rocky, very jacked. Yeah. Continues to be in some ways. Because we're adhering to a norm that's not really identified with our culture. You know what I'm saying? So it's an awkward path in some ways. It's a path. It's not the beaten path. It's not the straight path that many can take. So I believe, so they'll hurt you. They'll say things that hurt you. They'll say things. They'll set you up. They'll try to manipulate you. But when they see that you're not walking away from them and they see that you're not falling into these traps that they may lay because they're looking, they're looking at you to walk away. They're looking at you to a, you know, disconnect for them to get away from them too. Because that's maybe what they're used to, right? Because that's what that's right. That's what they're used to. I'm gonna yeah. push him away because he's not gonna be here for me anyway. Right. So just be gone. When they see that, that's not gonna change my path in regards to how I deal with you. That I'm gonna be very structured in my approach to you. That I'm gonna adhere to the highest ethical um, standard, but I'm still gonna be. I'm gonna normalize your feelings and let you know that it's okay. Then I use dialectical behavior therapy. They hate that. They hate that. They hate that. But what is that? Analytical behavior therapy is basically dual mind, a set of tools that you would use that's outside of the normal CBT realm of using tools. Yeah. Okay. But it allows you to think differently, to accept without judgment, to move without judgment, to work mindfully. So you can't even say that you're using DBT. You have to be kind of like, in a way, I guess you're manipulating. You're modifying it for their world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Really, so the key thing is just be, be consistent, be patient, be kind. Be nurturing. And when they yell and they scream and they try to do things to hurt you, don't take it personal. Every day is a new day. Yeah, I agree. And so when you get people that are kind of, they identify the root through these methods, they've gained your trust, they kind of identified the root. Do Does it take kind of both of you guys to help identify it? Or do they come in knowing like, I do this because of this type of thing? The thing about someone in recovery, they have a set of skills that people who never were into recovery don't have. So a lot of them already have that insight. Sometimes okay. it's about reconnecting the dots. Sometimes it's about connecting the dots, depending on what stage of change they're in. Every person is different. So, yeah, I think when you can, when you when you're able to connect the dots with them in sessions and it may not be just talk therapy. I like to use yeah. arts. I like to use music. I like to use different ways, board games, sometimes card games or whatever. They can see the pain. They can see the path of the pain, you know, if they can get back to it. If they can admit to the pain, if they know the source of the pain. I know people that might be coming to me at 45, 50 years old. Yeah. Don't really have no memory of eight, nine years old. Exactly. And it's, and it's, a, it's a, like I said, it's an onion. So you may not even want to go there. You may, because I like to be the solution focused, but I know sometimes I have to go to the past to fix the, fix the, the present. And, Letting them know that, you know, you do this, 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 because this, this, and that. Or you're searching you're searching out these kind of relationships that keep on bringing you havoc in your life because this, this, this happened. Correct. And, and when you talk about um, their label, like, do you 
do you almost like help them to fight? Like you are acting out your label right now. And this does not have to be who you are. Do, how do you have like those type of conversations? Like say if somebody is going through that and is listening right now. I just say it just like that. Keep it simple. You are not your label. Everything about you is you. You are you. You're not schizophrenic. You're labeled. You have a diagnosis of schizophrenia. And that may not even necessarily be true. We might have to tease that out or rule that out because the person you were assessed by may not understand your cultural norms. I took an assessment once and it took me to a place in which they asked about my cultural norms, which if I kept, let them go in the direction they wanted to go in, I surely would have been diagnosed with schizophrenia. But I do commune with my ancestors. I do relate to ancestral spirits, but that to them is not a reality or, or a norm. That to them indicates a schizophrenic um, diagnosis or a schizoaffective diagnosis because I should not be te- talking to people that they can't see. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. This is interesting because coming from traditional MD train, that's what we learned, right? Like hallucinations, you know, like all these check boxes that means schizophrenia, right? Or, and then you have manic depression, that's bipolar. Like we almost like carved out, like this is this and this is this. And because these are in these categories, it cannot, that's not, that's abnormal. They, they almost like label that as being abnormal or you're not because you have like these diagnoses. So I think this is very interesting that you're putting a new twist on it. And I didn't even take into account the cultural, right? Like, oh my gosh, how... How much can that influence the way people are, right? And who they are. And because of that, they're kind of unfortunately being mislabeled, actually, because that's what you had mentioned before. You're having people that are coming in with this label, schizophrenia, and they're not even looking into um, cultural, cultural norms for them. So how do you tease that out? Like when you have a client, how do you, um, do you just ask certain questions? Like how do you figure out okay, culture norm for them versus, you know, mental health or whatever? Well, first, I don't let the diagnosis guide the treatment. I let their presenting problems guide the treatment. So therefore, if you say you're schizophrenic, they say they're diagnosed with schizophrenia, they label themselves as schizophrenic, I don't necessarily use a treatment model or treat them as if they have schizophrenia. I treat them as the person they are as they are. I'm person-centered. So your presenting problem your things that you want to work on in treatment, that's what we focus on. And then when we start doing those things and start working on those things, the label should melt away because you're not being treated as if you're a bipolar or anxiety or depression, but we are treating your bipolar symptoms. We're treating your anxiety symptoms. We're treating your psychotic symptoms. If you happen to have those, if you're not medically treated appropriately, we we move from there. So a person-centered approach dissolves labels, in my opinion. Okay, that's good to know. I also want to say that in the DSM-3, homosexuality was a diagnosis. DSM-4 removed it. DSM-5 doesn't have any attributes associated with it at all, which says this, as culture changes, norms change and diagnoses change. That when we are at the table to help on these boards to help design DSM-6 or DSM-7, then maybe our voices can be heard regarding what truly makes a diagnosis. And some of these diagnoses should not probably even exist anymore. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. That's a, that's a good point. Um, and that's an interesting concept that you brought up. Um, because so you're saying, and I always have to like, kind of think about these things. So somebody's coming in with, um, say bipolar and for the audience, bipolar is a com- can be a combination of what we call manic, like high highs and lows essentially. And there's different types. So when they come into your office, you're saying, I'm not treating bipolar per se, I'm going to treat whatever the symptom that they're presenting with. So what are some examples of the way patients present to you, for example, just, just, just name some symptoms. Some symptoms might be impulsivity, um, buying things on the internet. Okay. It might, it might be highly sexual um, behaviors. It might be um, aggression or, you know, I'm saying assert or verbally or physically against others. It might be just staying up all times of night, only getting two or three hours of sleep. So with those instances, or let's say impulsivity, buying things, then I help them maybe design a budget or work on a budget or get natural supports around them regarding budgeting accordingly. Maybe helping their bank account only elicit so many funds and maybe limits its web account funds that can go out per day. Um, sexual behaviors might help them get better supports around them to support them in their sexuality for um, impulsive aggressiveness. You know what I'm saying? Teaching them anger management techniques in order to, you know, calm their mood down or whatever. Teaching them to slow down and be mindful of their actions, using mindfulness techniques to center themselves and come down off the high. Yeah. A lot of times people with the diagnosis don't want any medications to address it because the, the highs have such a creative edge, have such an energy, such a, a love about it. It's them crashing lows. But what they don't realize sometimes, and you have to teach them, the higher they go, the lower they'll fall. And those depression symptoms can lead to suicide or dangerous other dangerous behaviors. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting that you mentioned that and kind of put it that way because you're right. Like, one of my close friends has bipolar. And um, when she's in her, man- yeah, she just, she's up all day. And, and honestly, she's a physician. And so she's like, I can get more done. You know, she's, I get my house clean. Like she gets all this stuff done during her manic episodes. You know what I'm saying? There's also some costly things, you know what I'm saying? But you're right. Like people sometimes, you're, that, that was exactly stated. And, and when you said that, that made me think of my friend who was just like, and, and even me, I'm like, have you taken your meds like nicely? Like I've asked, cause she'll be like texting at 3 a.m. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? And so, um, and, and I like the way you treat the symptoms. Um, and so that's a huge way to kind of get rid of the, the label by, I like that, um, by when they coming in, essentially treating the person that's sitting in front of you and what their concern is, you know, they've already been diagnosed by whoever, you know what I'm saying? But just saying, Hey, what's going on with you and how can I help you? And then starting with that, you know, so I think that's, a great way to kind of start with healing um, or overcoming. I call them like when people have strongholds. Um, And I like, I really like that, um, those examples that you gave. Um, How long, and I know it's different for different people, but when you start to see them like responding to your treatment, like, what are some examples of, of how they react or they respond? Like, I'm, I'm sure they're like elated, obviously, but when can you tell 
hey, I think they got it now. I think they're stripping away these labels. Like you said, you know, different things for different people. Sometimes it might be they're finally able to stabilize their housing. They are finally able to re-engage with their family who they might have been apart from or not having too much conflict with it at one time. They might don't need as many as much case management because they're better able to manage their housing, their money, their bills, and things like that. Um, vocationally more sound, holistically more sound, taking medication like they're supposed to, attending appointments, uh, addressing any medical issues they might have. It's time, you know, and, and you see it. Sometimes they don't see it for themselves because it's so gradual, but their family sees it, their loved ones yeah, see it. Correct, exactly. And it's the same. It's the same with me too. Like they'll come in and almost like be beating themselves up as though they haven't done anything. And it's like, what, you know, they've made such great progress, you know, and they're still just, you know, we're, they say we're on worst critics, but sometimes still beating themselves up. But you're right. Family and the people that are around them are usually the first people to kind of notice the difference in that population or any in anybody, any change that's being made. One of the things you say is you're only as strong as your mindset. And obviously mindset for me is like key for a lot of things, like especially overcoming um, just stuff, strongholds, health journeys, whatever it may be. How do you um, incorporate that? Or what is your take on that? Is it just kind of what, what you've been talking about? Or is there like kind of different modalities that you incorporate? What do you think about that? I think that it's not necessarily a modality. It's just a lifestyle. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I model what I would want to see in my client. I am what I would want to receive. With the mindset, it's just, I know in my past, I might even use my own self as an example. When I said I could not do something, I literally could not do it. But when I changed my mind and I said I could, my mind started moving me in the direction of being able to do, starting putting things in the path in order for me to manifest that thing that I said I can do. And just the, just the opposite, when I said I couldn't do, then boom, the barriers would appear to prevent me from doing the thing that would be the opposite of that. Uh, I remember I wanted to drive a stick. Oh, I can't drive a stick. For years, I said, I can't drive a stick. Boom, guess what? I can't drive a stick. But when I said I could... Boom, now I can drive a manual transmission car. Wow, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. When I was on the basketball team, it was only six feet. I said I could not dunk. So my body said I can't dunk. But when I said I can dunk, Muggsy Bowes can dunk, I can dunk. Boom, <laughs> I was able to dunk. <laughs> I 100% agree. Like there's this thing called like positive self-talk essentially is what you're what you're talking about. And so, and and I always tell people in general that you're as capable as what your mind is, right? Which is exactly what you're saying. Like, I don't think people realize how powerful the input is um, from themselves, right? Because we get all kind of stuff from the outside world. But if you can almost set yourself up to speak into yourself positive, your brain literally creates new pathways to the point where that you're going to be able to do it. And so it's really just having to block out what everybody else is saying, you know what I'm saying? And in doing positive self, you know, self-talk or positive. Nine times out of 10, it's nobody else saying those, that you can't do it. It's always yourself. You're yeah. all, like you said, you're your worst critic. I agree. It's a place to be. We have to be our best cheerleader. Yeah, I agree. No, I agree. Um, so let's kind of touch bases on your book, Post-Pandemic Depression and Anxiety, 
right? And how to effectively uh, manage it essentially. So give me some, some tidbits. So, so you say post pandemic in your book here in Texas, where we have had a resurge. So we're still fighting the battle here and probably in most, in most areas, but in general, at some point, hopefully we will finally get over this. So, so what are some, some takeaways for the audience on, on how to get through that? Takeaways, I jumped the gun with the um, title. <laughs> um, I work for a company. I do some work for a company called NAMI. I'm sure you have NAMI in your area. Mm-hmm. It's basically like a support group for mental health to help people, laymen, lay people, regular people, learn about mental illness, get support regarding people they know who have mental health diagnoses. So I did a conference for them once, and this just was a fallout based on the conference that I did regarding wellness, regarding this age that we find ourselves in. It's basically skills that we already know but don't necessarily adhere to. An acronym that comes to mind is HALT, H-A-L-T. Mm-hmm. Don't allow yourself to get too hungry, too angry, too lonely, get tired. And if you can focus on those things, nine times out of ten, you're well. If you look back on your life, look at back at any instances in which you were like, oh, woe is me. You might have been feeling that way because you was hungry. I know when I'm hungry, I'm angry. We call it hangry down here. I know when I'm um, <laughs> when I'm angry, I know that I might lash out or do something I shouldn't have done. When I'm lonely, I might reach out to people I have no business reaching out to, exes and things like that. That happens a little bit, but, you know, you get back on the track and be like, hey, that was no good for me. You know what I'm saying? Why am I calling her? Why am I texting her? Blase, blase. Let me move away from that. Or too tired. When I don't get enough rest, I start getting more depressed, more anxious, get riddled, and it disturbs my sleep pattern. But if I have a set bedtime, boom. I feel good in the morning. I'm able to be my best me when I meet with my clients. Got some other acronyms in there because I'm all about the acronyms. It's just basically just a wellness check, you know what I'm saying? Things that, just reminders that things you probably already know and just don't adequately adequately address or do on a daily basis. Kind of like a zodiac sound, like a horoscope, you know? Call your friend that you haven't talked to in a while. Well, you know, you're not necessarily believing that horoscope applies to you, but yeah. it's a good tip. I think I do it today, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And even though we're still in a pandemic, I think a lot of this stuff is things that we can use now to help us get through to prevent, right, worsening depression or anxiety or, I mean, you know, you know, probably better than me, suicide rates have gone up. Like there's just so much going on during this this time period. And even though, this is those are tips for a pandemic there's floods right that's happened recently there's loss of jobs there's grief there's like all this stuff you know what i'm saying that people have to manage and if you take care of yourself well with perhaps some of the tips in in your book that can carry you right so it doesn't necessarily have to be after it could be almost like preventative stuff yeah right right definitely definitely daily tips that you can do to be well yeah. Might change the name of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I I helped you get there. <laughs> Anyways, well, thank you so much. Thank you for helping us figure out how labels. I would love getting your perspective on treating the symptoms and the examples, especially coming from my traditional brain. And I think it's going to be helpful to educate people in general, because you are so right. When people are labeled with these mental health, that becomes their label. And it's really not fair to them. You know what I'm saying? To walk around with carrying this label. So thank you for shedding light on that and helping us to kind of see a different way. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Be well. 
I hope this message continued to empower you and inspire you to continue on your health transformation journey. Thank you for listening and please subscribe or download if you like what you're hearing. The goal is to continue to inform you and educate you as you transform on your healthcare journey and show you different paths to take in order to get you to your goal. Until next time, thank you.